welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hi. Coming up on today's show, why is traditional homemaking and womanhood, a la Nara Smith, so popular on TikTok? Olivia Rodrigo launches her Guts World Tour. Television personality Wendy Williams has been put in the spotlight of a highly controversial four-part doco series. Zendaya wants to talk about Tom Holland a lot. Aussie Margaret Zhang has been moved on from the top gig at Vogue China. And did Taylor Swift's dad punch a pap? Then it's Zara's turn to play Slow Newsweek. And it'll be interesting given I had the worst start ever well, it could year. It could have been worse. You got one, not zero. I got one. But first... Sarah McDonald, we need to talk about what is a very special week in your life. It is your wedding week. It's my, is, is, is that how we define the week prior? Like birthday week? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> WW. Um, I have had a good wedding week. I don't think there's that much to report. I had one allergic reaction <laughs> on my face. Um, had an, I, can we run everyone through how this happened? Yeah, it's no one's fault but my own. I decided to get a beauty treatment that I hadn't got in three years, mm. the week of my wedding, and mm. then my whole forehead broke out and I was like, oh, okay, I'm having an allergic reaction. <laughs> my favourite thing as well is you walked into the office and you're like, got some bumps on my head and we were all looking at you being like, it's fine. <laughs> all of our voices changed a little octave. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I decided to do that. It's settling. But the thing is, I thought this is what a professional makeup artist is for. Exactly. Well, you're wearing makeup over it. I think it's gone down magnificently. It's, it's gone down a lot in the last couple of days. So I'm feeling good. We also collectively had like a little office brainstorm to be like, is this the kind of thing that you just leave? And it will just solve itself? Or do you put more things on and potentially make it worse? I'm a big believer in putting nothing on it. Same. But generally, anyway. Like, ingredients scare <laughs> me. So I just have just put water on it. <laughs> and I don't know, but I think it's been working. I also gave Zara a Zyrtec. I'm like, this will help. And now that I've sat with that, I'm like, that's a hay fever. <laughs> but I think the placebo of it helped me as well. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. So that happened. But beyond that, pretty uneventful. Feeling really excited. I keep forgetting... This will sound incredibly stupid. I keep forgetting that I'm getting married mm. rather than just throwing a big party, a big party mm. which is incredibly funny to me that, like, as of next week, I would have to get divorced. <laughs> like, that is just, like, an incredibly <laughs> hilarious concept. I still feel, like, a bit like a child bride. Yeah, that's fair. I'm 30 I was walking, this year. Yeah, I was 28 when I got married and I felt spectacularly young yeah. to do it. Just little babies. Babies. I'm very, very, very excited. Annabelle, you I'm, both be there? Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to hear the wedding song the, the ceremony song oh, it won't pick. even be that impressive <laughs> Wait, no, so, i want to know are you planning on getting back to us if we can do a flash mob at your wedding oh yeah well you guys can do anything you want you could flash mob down the aisle if I, you imagine I that. think we flash mob don't green light that so you're gonna regret this <laughs> you started rolling behind now we're very excited for you thank you so much no i'm really excited so i guess watch this space i will be back on the mic next week so we can talk about it more then. No honeymoon for Zara. The week after. (laughs) I think that's the thing. We've actually got two of our best friends ever. Ollie, my partner's best, best friend is getting married the weekend after us. And I think it's been one of the more special elements of this whole thing is having some of your best friends do it at the same time as you. Like it's it's like a wedding bonanza. Yeah, it's like the excitement is feverish. We've got quite a few people from overseas here. And I think to to be having love spread across a couple of weeks is just amazing. And I didn't think about that factor 
as much as I should have. And I think that's what I'm enjoying so much as well. How exciting that this time next week we'll be able to do the wedding debrief. Oh, we will. And we will do it. <laughs> we will do it. All right. What are you recommending? I have a four hour episode of Acquired, guys. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But hey, I watched seven hours of Who the Fuck Did I Marry last week, a four hour episode of Acquired. Well, that's, that's the thing, because if you're listening to a four hour episode of Acquired, you're not listening or consuming anything else over the course of your week. They dropped an episode on Hermes. Mm. Now, if you're not across the Acquired podcast, they do basically full audio books on businesses, tracking the history of a business and how a business really came to be. I have spoken on the podcast before about the LVMH episode. This episode on Hermes is amazing. I'm obsessed with it. I think there is something really nice about hearing two men talk about designer luxury fashion in a way where they just have the most respect in the world for this kind of business. I think that designer fashion that's so out of reach. I mean, an Hermes bag goes for like 30,000 AUD. Like yeah. none of us are going out and buying them. But I think hearing men like that not dismiss why people would shop like this and not make it seem really shallow, but talk about it in a deeply intellectual way with a whole lot of respect for the business model to the point where those two themselves want to go out and be part of the Hermes brand and yeah. buy into what they've built. This is one of the oldest brands ever. It started in the 1800s. Mm. I just, it's an amazing, amazing episode. It's clearly an investment, but <laughs> I learnt a lot, even just running this business. Yep. I've got things I want to talk to you about, Michelle. Oh. We're going to start launching our own luxury designer bag collection. No, <laughs> so much. So that's me. What are you, how are you, how is your week? What are you recommending? Good. So pumped to be a bridesmaid. I actually love being a bridesmaid. And you, I, I just, I feel like this is where I come alive as a friend. You should be one of those people that, you know, when you can rent a bridesmaid. Genuinely, guys, pay me to be a bridesmaid. I feel. So are you saying that you've never been alive with me as a friend? Yeah. <laughs> you've never been my bridesmaid? Well, I just feel like... The job description is there for me. It's clear as well. Yes. I think for you, you feel like, I mean, I even sent you last night, like, hey, the hairdresser sent some notes on like what how to, to do prep. Yeah. Before. And yep. she goes, a checklist. I can do this. It's almost like I can win this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like it's the easiest way to be like, I will show up for this and mm. I will do such a good job. Like the hairdresser wants me to shampoo my hair twice the night before and then blow dry it. And I will do that within an inch of its life. Like I will give everything to my hair because I'm being a professional bridesmaid. Well, you should do it going forward. <laughs> no, I'm very excited. I do want to recommend a podcast episode again. Amber Kamod, who is, of course, one of the co-stars on Netflix's One Day Adaptation, did an interview on BBC's Screen Time podcast, mm. and I want to be her friend. So you ended up watching One Day. I did. I binged it all on the weekend. It's excellent. I'm, I don't want to give spoilers. I know. This is how I felt when I was talking about it on the show. Have you watched it, Annabelle? Yeah, I finished the whole thing. I think what I will say to the people who have finished, like we have, I'm with you. What you're feeling right now, I'm there. Deep in the trenches. I'm in the trenches. I'm in the trenches. That's all I'll say. Don't listen to this interview if you haven't finished the series. There is a major spoiler like a minute in, but it's excellent. Amber Kamod speaks about how they were filming this for eight months. I didn't wow. know that. Eight months. She was like, I was so burnt out at the end. It was such a commitment. She also wasn't sure she wanted to apply to audition she sent her tape in at the very last minute and it's funny Leo Woodle's tape was the first one the casting directors watched and hers was the last and I just thought this adaptation was incredible there's a reason there's so much hype and buzz around it 
and watch this space. There actually might be something over on the Shameless Book Club next month all about one day, Zara. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now back to Amber Kamod. I know she's already done a lot in this space, but I also think she is about to absolutely explode. Yeah, I think there's – even Leo Woodall was on White Lotus and mm. he was big. Like Amber Kamod was on This Is Going To Hurt, but there is a newfound fame for both of them and mm. it feels very much like the breakout moment. They are everywhere. And I'm very excited to see where they go. Well, I loved this as well because I feel like a lot of these interviews are done just before something comes out because it's yeah. kind of like, you know, when you have actors on their press junkets and stuff. Totally. This interview was done after the show had reached worldwide success, worldwide popularity. And it opens with her speaking to that bizarre kind of experience of the show being out. And by the weekend, I think it came out on the Thursday, by the weekend it was everywhere and how that took her by surprise and how she's not really still coming to terms with the fact that she's very famous now. A hundred percent. Like that is relatively overnight when a whole series drops on Netflix. You heard the Bridgerton stars of season one talk about that as well. Yes. So highly recommend. It's not very long either. Not to brag. It's not a four hour long episode. Well, (laughs) I actually think I should brag because if you're consuming a four hour episode, it's pretty impressive. This is like a 25 minute chat. So whatever suits, yeah, different strokes for different folks. Exactly right. Shall we get into the episode? We are starting with a... My two cents. No, that was for the sound effect. (laughs) We're starting with a... Insert sound effect now. And that's my two cents. Yes. I am coming to the table to say Nara Smith performing traditional homemaking on TikTok is making her very famous. And I suspect it's professional career women like me who cannot look away. I'm obsessed with this topic. When you put it in Slack, I was like, we have to talk about this because it's all over my TikTok feed. Annabelle, is it on yours? Yeah. She's been around my TikTok feed for a very long time. Right. Okay. So we're crossing quite a few algorithms here. Yes. Do you want to explain who Nara Smith is for the unacquainted before we jump into this? I would love to. She's a model and TikToker who is exploding right now and has been exploding maybe since, ooh, October, November last year, I feel like is when she really started to hit people's algorithms. But she's been around for a long time. She has 2.3 million followers, but averages, importantly, over 5 million views per video. That was the average over the last 15 videos. Yes, I did the maths. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) So part of her allure is that we know relatively little about her. When People magazine covered her wedding to the model Lucky Blue Smith four years ago, They reported that Nara was 24 years old Mm. when she walked down the aisle, which would make her 28 right now. But in a video she filmed last August, she told her viewers she's 21, which would mean she actually had just turned 18 when she got married. I just wanted to put that in there because, yes, she's very popular and, yes, she's doing very well on social media, but there are very conflicting details floating around about her. Yeah, I was deeply confused by that fact as well. Now... Nara and Lucky have two children together. They have a third on the way. Their taste in baby names has definitely generated some commentary and some conversation. For example, they have one child called Slim Easy Smith, another child called Rumble Honey Smith. Lucky, by the way, has a child from a previous relationship with Stormy Bree, who is Joe Jonas's new girlfriend, if you're connecting all these dots. I know. Wow. A little celebrity matrix for you. I love a celebrity matrix. Now, Lucky's first child with Stormy Bree is called Gravity Blue Smith. So, you know, different strokes for different (laughs) folks, if that's what we're going to be saying today. I was going to ask, if you had to name a baby one name, are you going with Slim Easy, Rumble Honey, 
or Gravity Blue. Slim Easy. I love Rumble Honey. I think I'm going Gravity Blue. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Together we have a family. <laughs> gravity, I think Gravity would be a star. Like yeah. you meet a Gravity and you're like, wow. Anyway, that's a little tangent. Have you guys seen the comments on some of Nara's videos when she's cooking something like a rotisserie chicken? Yeah. People will be like, rotisserie chicken bluesmith. Sounds like a lovely <laughs> name to me. <laughs> that's so good. So Nara's content as you just hinted towards, Annabelle, concerns itself with home-cooked meals. She is the ultimate, quote-unquote, trad wife. Have we seen trad wife floating around on TikTok before? No. I had no idea what this meant, but I've seen it everywhere when it comes to analysis and commentary about Nara. Trad wife is traditional housewife. She's become the face of, like, traditionalism. She, for example, doesn't just make her toddlers a grilled cheese toasty. She hand-makes the bread and hand makes the cheese. I'm going to play a snippet of a very recent video of Nara Smith making a cheese toasty. When I asked my toddlers what they wanted for lunch, they both wanted a grilled cheese. So that's exactly what I got started on. I got started by making my bread. This is a really simple, no-need recipe. You put all of your dry and wet ingredients into a bowl, give it a mix, and let it rise for two hours, which gives me enough time to start making my cheese. I combine some milk, citric acid, and rennet in my pot, let that heat up, and then once it's solidified, I'd return it back to the heat and stir it gently before letting all the curds drain and then stretching it out. Stretch it until it's shiny and smooth and then put it back into that cooled way. Sorry for laughing. It's when the violin came. Sorry, it sounds like a eulogy. Like, it yeah. sounds like a televised eulogy. Isn't it fascinating that when you pull the video yeah. out of it, how like different it almost sounds like a meditation podcast or something but then also like like you said like a eulogy when the violin came in but she was talking (laughs) about making cheese i got the giggles now that's not all by the way in this video she also handmade her pesto and handmade a herbed butter she whipped heavy cream until a butter formed. She then finished the video by saying the kids absolutely devoured this. Oh, you'd be flat if they didn't. <laughs> and look, I have a couple of toddlers in my life. I've got two nieces. They are similar ages, actually, to Nara Smith's children. If my niece, my four-year-old niece, Millie, who I love with every cell of my being, turned to me and said, Auntie Shell, I want a cheese toasty. And I then said... Thank you, Amelia. See let you me in just, five hours. Let me just let my dough rise for two hours before I get no started. Need, no, <laughs> no need, though. No need. A very simple no need recipe that I need to let rise for two hours. She would have moved on to a million different things by the time this cheese toasty is in the world. Like, I think the thing for me is like, this is so unrealistic and almost fiction. Well, that's what toddler's going along with this. That's what I kept saying to you as well. And we'll get to the analysis in a second, I think, is like part of the allure of this is how much of it is fiction. Like it's real life. She's making this stuff and the kids are eating it. But a lot of it is baked in fiction. I mean, she also handmade Oreo cookies the other week because her husband wanted cookies and cream ice cream. So instead of sending him out into the world, she made the Oreos herself. And it's always positioned as such an easy thing. She's like, my husband was on his way out to get cookies and cream soft serve, but I told him I'll just make it for him instead. And then she's like, anyway, so let's get started on our Oreos. Yeah. It's taken six hours or something to make that. I know. It's so funny because I, I love watching these videos. I mean, truthfully, even playing that snippet there, I just closed my eyes <laughs> and sort of just swayed my head because it felt so relaxing. They're fascinating and absurd. And I agree with you. I actually really love them too. I have watched every single video Nara Smith has ever posted to TikTok, which I can't say maybe for any other creator. She is one of the most talked about people on TikTok right now, but she's probably also one of the most divisive. People love her or hate her. The critique is either nasty or sycophantic. 
she's stirring up a lot of thoughts for a lot of people. And I think a lot of it comes down to this idea that she's potentially spreading, quote unquote, Mormon propaganda. Because although she speaks relatively little about her faith, her husband, Lucky Blue Smith, as I said, is also a model, also has a following, and is very open about being extremely religious over on his account. Did we know this? I knew that they were religious, but I haven't got that from Nara's content. Like the overriding thing I get from Nara's content is food. It's mm. trad wife. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to play you a snippet of a video that Lucky posted in the middle of last year. Just a heads up, the caption to this video you're about to hear was, Jesus is the only way home. The time is now. Hashtag LDS. Hashtag the second coming. Just want to say that God is right there. He's right there with you guys going through what you're going through. He's going through it with you. He's ha He has his hand out just waiting for you guys to grab onto it. And that's what I did. So I wanted to include that because I think that's important context to what's going on here. Like, I don't think I would have ever found that video if it went for researching this story. And now I'm kind of looking at all of this through a different lens that I don't know if it matters, like be as religious or have your belief system however you want that to be. But it is interesting to look at what Nara Smith is putting out into the world in tandem with what her husband is putting out. I'm actually struggling a little bit to see the tight connection, if I'm honest. Like I appreciate the critique that's being levelled in this context, but I don't think Nara Smith is selling a reality or a religious world, I think she's selling a family one that's actually kind of fake. Like the religion mm. element is a bit more irrelevant to me here, truthfully. And I think when I watch her content, I've been desperate since I knew that we were going to talk about this to try and work out what the allure of content like this is. Like mm. what is the pull? And I do think part of it is quite simple. I think there's a part of it that's really straightforward. It's kind of like the Emily Mariko effect. I think slow cooking content like this in a really chaotic world, particularly mm. social media is its own chaotic world, slows you down. Like you kind of take a breath, I think, when you watch this stuff. And I don't meditate, <laughs> but sometimes if I am watching my For You page and a slow video like this comes up, I will stop and watch it. And I think that is part of it. Mm. I think second to that, though, women take on so much. I mean, that's hardly the most earth shattering thing I could ever say on this show. I think stats will show women are doing all the work at home and then doing the work at work. And most women I know, particularly women with kids, are really tired. Mm. And you see jokes online, you know, memes from young women particularly saying thank you to the suffragettes, but I actually don't want to work anymore. <laughs> You've seen that stuff around. And, and I know most of it is like not that wholly serious, but I also think it's a meme because there's a thread there. Like there's mm. a real, there's a seed of something there. And I think a lot of women, particularly women who work and do everything at home, probably do wonder from time to time if it's all worth it. And they probably do fantasize about a world where less is expected of yeah. them. And Nara's world feels like an alternate reality. It's beautiful and it's peaceful. But as we said earlier, it's fiction. Like it's not real because nobody can actually do this. I mean, firstly, you need buckets of money to do what she's doing. And I would love to see all the stuff we're not being shown off camera. Like, I would kill to see I would what's put, not shown on camera. I would put most of the money 
in my bank account on the fact that she is actually making a very quick cheese toasty and then making a different one for the video. Like, mm. Or has help around the house oh, are, she while have- she's spending six hours making cheese toasties, has help with who actually is like passing the kid the... Yeah. yeah, and the reason that this looks good is because it is fiction and because yeah. actually deep inside of us we all know that. I don't think we can fully remove the religious context though, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I think like so many of these videos, What the first one I ever saw of Nara Smith was everything I home cooked for my husband today. And it was like breakfast, snacks, lunch, snacks, dinner. And looking at that, it was like, oh, wow, this is a very traditional setup where the wife doesn't just feed her husband every single meal. Every meal is like an art form almost. Like every part of herself, every part of her creativity is channeled into this food for the benefit of her husband. And Nara often comes back to that and says, yes, but like I love making food, I love cooking food and this is my love language. But I don't think we can strip the Mormonism of this entirely. I do actually think it's an important piece of the puzzle because we know that the values typically associated with the LDS church are that women are in servitude to their husbands. Yeah. And I, but I agree with you. I, I love her stuff. I'm not saying this from a perspective of like, I don't like it. I think it's harmful. I find it a fascinating component of it that I think we need to unpack. But as someone who Uber eats to coffee for myself this week, who like rarely has time to make a meal, I love this stuff. And it almost speaks to a very small part of my brain that goes, God, my life would have been simpler if I wasn't so career minded. Yeah. But again, it's not even true because it still would. You ask any woman who is at home with children and they would say, but this is not even the Mm. same thing. Like it's Mm. still apples and oranges. Mm. We're still talking about different things. Mm. And I think when I said before, the Mormonism is less relevant to me, I mean that in the context of the critique. The Mormonism to me is relevant in the context of what she's doing, Mm. but it's not as relevant to me as to why people might find it troubling or annoying, Mm. if that makes sense. I think it's fascinating. And I think you're right. I think there is a huge part of all of us that feel that we are over-caffeinated and constantly on the go and busy. Underslept. Yeah. But I don't know. I think while all of that is true, that kind of way of being can get kind of a hard rap because I'm also happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we feel like we should be doing life differently a lot of the time. And I think that's very much baked into why we're so obsessed with this. Coming up after the break, Olivia Rodrigo's Guts World Tour, Wendy Williams' documentary, and did Taylor Swift's dad punch a pap? But first, a word from today's sponsor. Now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara Bride McDonald. Oh, nice. What have you got for us? Life McDonald. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Our first story. On her Guts World Tour, Olivia Rodrigo is no longer the girl you thought you knew. That is from Rolling Stone. I loved that headline. Guys, it was pretty hard to miss on your social media feeds over the weekend. Olivia Rodrigo officially began her Guts World tour. I put world in inverted commas because she is not coming to Australia. I think her definition of world is a little myopic, dare (laughs) I say. Her world tour is going to like not very many places at all. No, but you know, 
Whatever, I love her. We still love her, yeah. Yeah, let her live, I say. Now, it looks like a good time. Her first show was in Palm Desert in California. And I think the most pertinent thing I noticed from watching TikTok video after TikTok video of the concert was how much she had decided, and her team, obviously, that she had grown up. Did you guys notice Mm. this on your feeds? I mean, this is always the most delicate thing for a... Disney star's career. I mean, I think they've done it quite well. She's gone from Disney star to musician to now young woman who wants to express herself. And it feels relatively natural. There's always going to be a level of jarringness. I don't think that's a word, Mm. but I'm going to make it one (laughs) Um, for people consuming this. And I've seen a few comments online. This is always going to happen. It's a necessary evil. It feels like watching your little sister. Grow up. Start, like, being sexual. Yeah. yeah, of course. Now, Rolling Stone reported that as the show got on, things got rockier, sexier and hornier, mm. which I really loved. She swore a lot. She didn't shy away from sexiness. I mean, she sat at her piano and said this of turning 21, which I loved. I went to the gas station the other day and bought a pack of cigarettes. I promise I didn't consume it, but I just bought it because I fucking could. There's like an <laughs> element of like, hey, I'm grown up and old here, but still a real element of immaturity about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know if that single quote achieves I'm actually growing up and pulling it off. No, but I think it's doing both things. She's straddling both lines very deliberately. It's like I bought the cigarettes and I promise I didn't consume them, but I did it Mm. because I fucking could. That feels like very deliberate to me, Mm. that kind of anecdote. Like she's growing up at a very glacial pace. Like holding our hand as she's growing up. Yes, like I'll take you on the ride with me. Did you guys see the clip? at her concert where she was like, I'm about to switch all the lights off in this stadium and when I switch them off, you're all going to scream about whatever's stuck in your chest right now. I want you to get it out. I watched that and I was like, fuck, I want to fly across the world and go to the Guts (laughs) World Tour. It looks amazing. I truly think now I've seen every song already because of the TikTok videos. I also love this New York Times report that wrote on stage, a feisty Olivia Rodrigo tests out life after girlhood. Mm. They observed as well, in just three years, she's achieved something approaching stratospheric fame, a four times platinum debut album and a Grammy for Best New Artist, while somehow remaining an underdog. That is so true. I thought that was fascinating. Is the underdog thing maybe part of the rumoured feud or clunkiness with Taylor Swift? I think so. I think... Anyone compared to Taylor Swift actually looks like an underdog. Yeah. I also think because there's something still very good girl and youthful about her that you're still rooting for her. Mm. It's fascinating, though. I I hadn't really made that thought conscious that she is still somehow considered an underdog. Yeah. I even feel like Driver's License being the song that catapulted her, it was still that idea that she was the brunette girl and there was the blonde girl in this boyfriend's life. Like she was the girl who wasn't chosen. That is a way to become very famous very quickly but still be the every girl in that he went for the blonde over me. And Sabrina, as we've noted, is on tour with With Taylor. Taylor, And it was rumoured to be about Sabrina. So I think it's interesting. What I want to keep track of now is when that tone starts changing Mm. because we know it will. But I hope it doesn't because I love her. Mm-hmm. Our second story, Wendy Williams documentary producers. If we'd known she had dementia, no one would have rolled a camera. That is from The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, guys, this story has some twists and turns. We're going to start with the TV show itself. The TV show Where Is Wendy Williams was filmed between August 2022 and April 2023. Reportedly, the original premise of the docu-series was to relaunch Wendy's career after she lost her gig on television. Very 
very quickly the production team behind the scenes realized it would take on a different shape instead. So it's four parts and Where Is Wendy Williams opens by telling the viewers that in 2022, a New York City judge put Wendy under a guardianship. That is basically New York speak for conservatorship. Before we get into this story as well, I think some people might be taken a bit by surprise about this. I mean, the Wendy Williams we see on social media, particularly TikTok, is very full of life, so full of viral social media gold. It doesn't feel like this is a woman who has disappeared Mm. by any stretch. It feels like a woman whose jokes we're still telling. I mean, it was Wendy Williams who came up with doula peep. Yeah. I say say came up with, but accidentally came up with doula peep and stuff like that. Like, she's still relevant and part of the zeitgeist. And I think what a lot of people won't have realised is over the last few years, Wendy Williams, the person, has been in quite a bit of trouble. Yeah, it's it's a little bit jarring that this is a woman young people only really fell in love with very, very recently. We've been all watching her when she was at her prime but the clips we're seeing on social media. For example, I didn't know who Wendy Williams was until TikTok. Mm. I fell in love with her, but what I've been watching is stuff that's even 10 years old. Now, obviously, people are very intrigued about Wendy Williams' private life. She was in their living rooms for 12 years on daytime television. She, during that time, was incredibly candid about the ins and outs of her life. For example, in 2019, she told the world that she had left her husband because he'd fathered a child with his mistress. So given she hasn't really been front-facing or in the public eye for two years now, it's not surprising that people want answers and that there was an appetite for a TV show about it all. But the TV show itself that aired on American television over the weekend is an incredibly bizarre, uncomfortable, dark look at fame. It's so uncomfortable. I was watching it and was like, I feel like I'm intruding on someone's life and I shouldn't be here. I mean, what you need to know about this is that Wendy isn't okay. She is quite erratic. Mm. She bursts into tears at random points throughout it. She's quite Mm. sexual. She berates a nail technician and yells at her. And obviously this has raised such intense ethical questions. Like if someone is asking for their own platform, but they may not be of sound mind. I mean, just to remind you, this is a woman under a guardianship. Should you give it to them? Mm. I mean, I just can't help but feel very clear about this and and quite black and white in that Mm. no one's really allowed to change their will if they're not of sound mind. Mm. And you're not really allowed to decide anything regarding euthanasia or the state of your life if you are not of sound mind, why we wouldn't be thinking about applying the same rules there that perhaps we would hear is beyond me. Like we're talking about a really important legacy here of Wendy Williams. And I would hope that even though this television show is out in the world, we will always remember Wendy Williams when she was well. Yeah. I actually haven't had such a visceral reaction to any piece of media as I had when I watched the first episode of Where Is Wendy Williams? Like, it's actually kind of diabolical to me that this exists. And look, a constant presence in the docuseries and in Wendy's life during this, I think it was an eight-month period while it was being filmed, was Will, her jeweler-turned-manager. He's credited as an executive producer of the series, as is Wendy's 23-year-old son, Kevin, and Wendy herself. 
Just before this four-part series aired on Lifetime over the weekend, Wendy's care team actually issued a statement to the media revealing she had been diagnosed with primary progressive aphasia and frontotemporal dementia. If aphasia sounds familiar, that's actually what Bruce Willis has. Now, the statement read, around 2022, Wendy began to lose words, act erratically at times and have difficulty understanding financial transactions. The decision to share this news was difficult and made after careful consideration, not only to advocate for understanding and compassion for Wendy, but to raise awareness about aphasia and frontotemporal dementia and support the thousands of others facing similar circumstances. Around the time that statement came out, Wendy's guardian, her legal guardian, a woman named Sabrina Morrissey, sued Lifetime's parent company to try and stop this docuseries from airing. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, one of the producers of the series, Mark Ford, said, Ultimately, it's a First Amendment issue. Nobody should have the power to quash Wendy's voice and her family's voice. And thankfully, the courts understood that that was the most important thing and the free press won out. So we have a quite complicated scenario to look at. Wendy was part of this docuseries, but as you said, Zara, is so, so clearly not of sound mind. Like you get that in the first 15 seconds. They want watching. you to see that as well. It's not they even like- They humiliate her. Completely. They The first five minutes of the show, it's not even like, like the things that they are choosing to show, given how much footage they would have of Wendy, is telling a very obvious story from their perspective. She stumbles as she walks into the room and I I watched various you loved ones. You could have cut that. Yeah, you could have. And I've watched loved ones experience dementia. I mean, the producers, we'll get to this in a second, have said they didn't know she had dementia when they filmed. I feel like anyone who's witnessed a loved one go through dementia is familiar with how sexual they can yeah. sometimes be. And there's a... There's an exchange. I don't think I'll even detail it, really. No. I don't think we need to. But there's an exchange in the first couple minutes of this where she says something and tries to do something quite sexual to the camera. And I actually found it quite upsetting. Having watched loved ones go through that and know how dementia can affect them and how vulnerable they can be in moments like that, for that to be used in this immediately crosses out any kind of argument these documentary makers can tell me that they actually had her best interests in mind. There was absolutely no need to humiliate her the way they did by including that scene. I don't find any excuse for it at all. There isn't one. No, there's not. And I agree with you. I mean, when it comes to the producers themselves, they have argued that they're doing something important with this TV show. I mean, they thought that they were doing some sort of like, I don't know, free Britney thing, mm. a story that kind of exposes conservatorships and guardianships and I guess suggests they're immoral. I mean, I actually don't think they achieved this in the slightest. Mm. I think as you keep saying and as is true, I think they were setting out to humiliate her and I think if anything it proves that she needs people in her corner who are fighting for her. Mm. You might ask yourself as well, okay, so – where is her family if her family wanted this to go ahead? Well, she has a 23-year-old son and he is not in charge of the guardianship because apparently, or reportedly I should say, when he was in charge of her financials, he reportedly spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on his mum's cards, including $100,000 on Uber Eats alone. Mm. I just feel very troubled, so troubled and yeah. so uncomfortable about this story. And I think there is no one binary narrative about conservatorships or guardianships. Yeah. Every single story is different. 
And just because the Britney Spears story looked like one thing doesn't mean that every story should be exactly the same. We always should have conversations about the benefits and the fruitfulness of conservatorships and guardianships. But at the end of the day, to try and, I don't know, put every single case in the same box is so deeply unhelpful. I completely agree. I think one thing that I'm struggling with as well is there's a popular theory that Lifetime pursued this knowing and seeing that Wendy wasn't well because she, when she was well, had signed a three-picture deal with them and this was the final commitment of that three-picture deal. Multiple people on the show spoke to The Hollywood Reporter about that and denied it. They did, though, concede that Wendy did not sign off on the final product. She has not seen these four episodes. In fact, nobody from the show, including members of Wendy's family, has spoken to Wendy for months now. Here's a quote that was given to The Hollywood Reporter. We simply had no way to get it to her to see it. No way to screen it with her because she's locked down in a facility and we haven't been able to speak to her since we wrapped filming. The last day that you see us filming with her is the last time we spoke to Wendy. After that, the quote came, of course, if we had known Wendy had dementia going into it, no one would have rolled a camera. You didn't have to run it. You didn't have to run it at all. You found out. In fact, her son posited the idea that she had alcohol-induced dementia while filming. You didn't have to run it. And also, Wendy has the ability to contact these people. She can call them. They can't call her. If she's chosen not to speak to them in a few months, I think that says a bit. Yeah, our third story. Zendaya fawns over boyfriend Tom Holland's natural gift. That is from The Independent. Guys, Zendaya is on the press tour at the moment with June Part 2. And firstly, Red carpet looks a 10 out of 10. Oh, they always Who are. Who is surprised? Secondly, I think I've noticed something quite interesting here that, I mean, I'm saying I have noticed something. I think quite a few people have noticed it as well. She's talking more about Tom Holland than she ever was. I mean, Zendaya and Tom Holland have always had an intensely private relationship. They've mm. never wanted to speak about each other. I think Tom's always been a little bit more public than Zendaya about it, posting on Instagram, et cetera. Yeah, he loves an Instagram caption. Totally. But what I'm seeing over her last few interviews is her happy to acknowledge that she's in love and happy. Now, it all started with a video on BuzzFeed. Now, I'm sure so many of our listeners will have seen that very famous (laughs) BuzzFeed segment where they have like puppy interviews, like little tiny Mm. puppies rolling around the studio while a celebrity is interviewed. Now, one of the questions that Zendaya was asked was who has the most Riz out of the June part two cast? Riz, obviously, charisma. Okay, you say obviously, but I literally learned that from this video. Wait, really? Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. When she's like, Riz, obviously, charisma is what we're talking about. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) I just thought Riz was just a standalone word. That's fine. (laughs) Now, she answered saying, me, hello. And then she went on and said this. I think someone who has beautiful charisma, not on the Dune cast, but I personally, works for me, is Mr. Tom Holland. I'm I'm more shy and like kind of quiet, so it takes a little bit more to like pull me out of my show. But he's great at just like talking to people and getting to know people and like you see him on talk shows and stuff like that. He's just naturally very good at that. Whereas for me, I've definitely had to like (laughs) pull it out of me a little bit. So there was that. Then while sitting next to Florence Pugh in another junket interview, they had this exchange. I'm really impressed with how you change accents all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Because if I, I mean, if I had to do a British accent, I think the more I'm around yeah. British people yeah. and my, they're my family now, yeah. um, the more I feel like I can't do it. 
fun. They're my family Beautiful. now. I know. Is she trying to say that they might be engaged or married? No, I think she's just saying like his family is my family. Mm. And then there was another one that piqued my interest that fell into my feed on Tuesday, which was this. If you guys could bring back one thing from the UK back with you to the States, what would it be? Uh... Yeah, my boyfriend. <laughs> I would just that's take right. him with me. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's so interesting. Because these aren't the only examples, by the way. No, I've but just picked I, up three. I do really like it. Like, I love that she's wanting to talk about this more. I think I haven't been as much on the Zendaya Tom Holland bandwagon. Love them individually. Never really got the couple thing because there wasn't enough content out there for me to jump on board. Yeah. It's so, Annabelle, I have to bring you into this because when we were talking about it in the office yesterday, I was saying to you, there's clearly a strategy here. Like, she has clearly decided and her team has decided that what she's going to do as part of this press tour is just not deliberately force it. But if a natural answer that mentions her boyfriend is going to come up, she will answer it that way. Mm. I feel like I'm interviewing you. (laughs) Why did you think that was? Well, I think it's because the movie Challenges is about to come out and Zendaya's been pushing that trailer on her Instagram feed quite a bit. And a lot of the commentary under those trailers was, because it's quite a sexual movie, oh my God, like Tom Holland watching this must be so awkward and uncomfortable Mm. and oh my God, watch out Tom. And I feel like there's maybe a correlation between those two things. I agree. That's so interesting. Also the fact that she was asked on the press tour about kissing Timmy Chalamet and I wonder if after that she Mm. was like, I just don't want like... Tom Holland is the one that I love. Yeah. And as much as being private kind of looks after your relationship, it would be incredibly difficult to have a lot of eyes on your relationship or people trying to poke holes in it. But I just I just thought it was really interesting and I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'll always take more content about Zendaya and oh. Tom Holland. Our fourth story, Vogue China's Margaret Zhang, the youngest person appointed as an editor at the magazine group to step down. That is from The Guardian. A relatively quick one here, but one we wanted to touch on regardless, is that Aussie Margaret Zhang is leaving Vogue China after three years at the helm. Mm. Anna Winter actually chose Margaret in 2021 to lead the publication. Her appointment was controversial, to say the least. The New York Times summed it up well. For one thing, at just 27, Miss Zhang was the youngest ever editor-in-chief of a Vogue title. For another, there was her unorthodox multi-hyphenate resume as a photographer, consultant, filmmaker, model and social media influencer with almost no magazine experience. Then there was the fact that Miss Zhang, who was born to Chinese immigrant parents in Sydney, was an Australian who had never lived in mainland China. Mm. Margaret was the subject of a lot of conversation and critique even as she was running the magazine, which would have been very difficult. A couple of years ago, the Sydney Morning Herald published a pretty damning piece that quoted the former Condé Nast China president, Sophia Liao, who wasn't stoked about Margaret being in the role and also was happy to be open about that. She told the publication, it was really dangerous to have such a person to be the editorial director of Vogue China. Why? Because she has been growing up and living in Australia and overseas. Her understanding of China is too superficial and limited. Mm. I think that context is really important here is that it would have been a really hard couple of years, three years running this magazine with people talking about your work like this. Yeah, and three years as a stint at Vogue is very, very short. This is a blip on the radar, really. Most Vogue editors are there for like 10 plus years. So three is quite quick. Margaret wrote on Instagram, as we kick off a transformative year of the dragon, I'm excited to announce that I have decided to wrap up with Vogue and jump into the next chapter of my career. 
Her supporters are very sad for what it's worth. A tweet read, you got to be kidding me, Margaret Zhang leaving Vogue China. It was like a collection of her covers in this tweet, which were beautiful and epic, and it had over 35,000 likes. So, I mean, she was controversial in the role, but it's controversial now that she's been ousted as well. Completely. I read this morning as well that she had been signed by CAA, which is one of the biggest management companies in the industry, to do more filmmaking things. So I don't mm. think she's going to stay in magazines at all. No replacement for her has been announced either. Will Anna just take that under her then? Will she just be like, and now I'm doing Vogue China as no, well? No, she said in an email to all staff that she is working very, very quickly to find one. Which tells us that this was quite abrupt then. Yes. Well, they. but this is the thing. They didn't renew her contract. It wasn't mm. like, I think they would have known this is coming, but. Who knows what goes on with Anna Winter? <laughs> Our fifth story, Taylor Swift takes boyfriend Travis Kelsey on private tour of Sydney Zoo. That is from News.com. A very quick one, guys. Taylor Swift decided to spend not one but two days at Sydney Zoo last week. She was there on Wednesday and Thursday. On the first day, she went with her dancers and then she went again with her boyfriend Travis Kelsey. <laughs> That was two trips to the Western Sydney suburb of Bungarabi for the biggest pop star in the world last week. Good on her. Did you see the footage of Sabrina Carpenter just sort of trailing <laughs> like their child? Third wheel. I've got to say, out of everything in Sydney, I don't know if... Sydney Zoo would be on my itinerary not once but twice. Sydney's such a city. Is it the open air thing? Her trying to not get sick and working out what ah. activities would be good for that? Oh, like a COVID mindset. Mm. Mm. Maybe, but then also just... Chill at your hotel. Maybe. Um, well, but if she wanted, watch one day on Netflix, <laughs> if she wanted to get out into the fresh air. I mean, the other thing we need to acknowledge as well is these headlines going around about Papa Swift. Papa Swift and a, a I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> Scott Swift has been accused of assault. A paparazzo, an Australian paparazzo named Ben McDonald, has said that Scott punched him in the face at about two thirty in the morning on Tuesday. This has gotten big enough that a spokeswoman for Taylor Swift has had to respond. They told the Daily Mail that photographers were being aggressive. Two individuals were aggressively pushing their way towards Taylor, grabbing at her security personnel and threatening to throw a female staff member into the water. Odd. According to the Daily Mail, North Shore Police Command is investigating. According to the Daily Mail report, Mr McDonald did not require medical attention and does not believe he will have lasting injuries. I watched a video from TMZ that doesn't show a lot, but I think it shows a, a scuffle. A, uh, yeah, but you can't hear much. It looks pretty. Look, from the angle that I was watching, I'll just say I, I didn't see anything that was like mammoth. Or hear anything. It looked like a flurry of movement and then uh, like you don't hear anything that sounds particularly sinister either. It's a weird story. I just got to say. And I know we've been dancing around this for a few months now. Let's just come out and say it. I think if you're a paparazzo invading somebody else's space and stalking them, they are within your rights to remove you from that space gently. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I, I never will endorse assault ever. Yeah. But this idea that paparazzos keep accusing the people they're stalking of of assault when we are lacking a little bit of the evidence. Yeah. Well, like facial, if you're getting punched in the face. Yeah. 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 I'm just, that's all I'm struggling with, with the story. As I said, with the Jacob Elordi story, if facts come out that prove something different happened, then sure. Yeah. But you are stalking them. Yeah. Just with a camera in hand. Exactly. Mm, that's all for this week's Quick and Dirty. Amazing. Five out of five. Not that we're scoring <laughs> this, but I say five wins. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. All right, guys, time for Slow News Week. We have a sound effect for this. Uh, yeah, me not getting around the sound <laughs> effects today. We do have a sound effect for this. Let's play it now. 
been a slow news week. Don't worry, they'll go back to not recognizing you soon enough. Mm, how are we feeling? It's your turn. We're feeling good. This is the quiz of the slower news things that happened in the week. <laughs> to fill the space. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. But am I? Wink. I think we needed something a little bit light in this episode. We there did. are a couple of darker, sadder stories in this week's ep, so let's lighten it up, shall we? Just a reminder, I just have to beat one to be beating you for the year. <laughs> we, are, we are collating this over the course of a whole year. There shall only be one winner. Yeah, I'm on one point, so it won't be hard. But maybe I've made these questions particularly hard for you. We'll let's wait see. see. My first question. Miranda Kerr and Evan Spiegel announced the arrival of another baby boy this week. It's their third boy together, Miranda's fourth son. She had a son with Orlando Bloom, obviously. What did they name this boy? If you want, I can give you the existing names of the other boys. I think you need, that's too hard I've because got, you, I, need, you need multiple options. choice for that. I, well, I've got multi-choice. There we go. Okay, well, the existing names, just so you can kind of yeah, feel it out for the ecosystem of Miranda Kerr baby names. The ecosystem is Flynn... Miles and Hart. Thank you. Now, what are we subbing in at spot four? Pierre, Parker, Phoenix or Preston? Ooh. Love it. It's not Pierre and it's not Preston. What are the middle ones? Parker and Phoenix. It's Phoenix. <laughs> You're incorrect. No. no. Get this. Pierre. D- Pierre. Pierre does not oh. fit in. Love you, Miranda, but does not fit in with Flynn Miles Hart. It should have been Preston or Phoenix. It should have been Phoenix. Phoenix worked so well. Yep, I That's agree. Right. Anyway, zero. That's fine. <laughs> Second question. On Sunday, Romeo Beckham and girlfriend Mia Regan or Regan announced they'd split up after five years together. Mia wrote on Instagram, This is me and Ro. We have grown up with each other since we were 16. Love takes on different forms and paths as you mature. Romeo's Instagram announcement was similar in sentiment, sharing his equally cute nickname for Mia. What was that nickname? Very (laughs) name-heavy episode. (laughs) I'm like, it's the hardest questions ever. (laughs) Just realizing. Annabelle actually wrote. I actually wrote this one. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What was the nickname? A. Mooch. B. Meow meow. (laughs) Okay. Or C. Mia Moore. Mia Moore. Mooch. Meow meow. Or Mia Moore. Her name is Mia, to yeah, reiterate. Yeah. I'm just trying to get into Annabelle's brain, truthfully, because I saw this around, but I didn't take note. It's not Meow Meow. <laughs> it's Mia Moore or Mooch. And I'm trying to work out, what's her name? Mia. I think it's Mooch. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Mia right. Moore's a good one, though. It, well, hey, I, I, that's why I thought. I thought that would be a talented Annabelle yeah. guest. I was kind of into Meow Meow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're on one. Great. At least I'm on the board. Third question. Again, I've got multi-choice for you. According to The Independent, which smash hit romantic comedy is set to be revived this year with filming of the sequel reportedly set to begin in May? A, 500 Days of Summer, the second movie. B, Bridget Jones 4. C, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 4. Or D, Made in Manhattan 2. I didn't know this. Neither did I until Annabelle wrote the question. (laughs) So we work together on this one. We, we work together. I have to always think about the side of the internet that Annabelle exists on, which is a different side of the internet to me. Mm. Okay, so it's... What uh, would you want the most? Probably Maybe let's start um, there. 500 Days, 500 of, summer days of Summer or Main in Manhattan. Yeah, well, mm. the others, it would be the fourth edition. And I feel like once you've done three, you've done it all. Uh, that's what makes me think there is a fourth. Because okay. I don't think you guys are coming up with multiple choice options with two of them going to four. That's too random. Okay. You've only done that if one of them is the correct answer. So what are the okay. four? Bridget Jones four or My Big Fat Greek Wedding four? My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Incorrect. Damn it. Oh, one all. <laughs> the answer. Um, 
The fourth installment of Bridget Jones will begin filming hell? in May. 23 years. Sorry, this is a bit of a paragraph, but I just want to read it out. No. 23 years after the release of the first movie, the double Oscar winner Renee Zellweger will return in the lead role based on the best-selling series by Helen Fielding. Colin Firth and Hugh Grant are expected to make return. Why? The film will reportedly be based on the 2013 novel Bridget Jones, Mad About the Boy, which explores Bridget Jones as a 51-year-old single mother to two children navigating dating apps. I'm... No. I think we've had enough Bridget Jones, and I would be shocked if Colin Firth didn't agree with me. I agree. Colin Firth and Hugh Grant would agree with no, me. No, Hugh Grant doesn't remember. He was the Oompa Loompa and was like, i got to take anything I've got these days. Yeah. So maybe we think Hugh. I think Hugh Grant's pushing this. Colin Firth isn't not a fourth one, guys. I feel tired. Number one was so good. I only watched the first one for the first time like three months ago. Oh. And we need to say, a little clunky by today's standards. A lot of this film doesn't stand the test of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asterix, asterix. Asterix, asterix. A fourth one? I know. That is so shocking. But I will have to go back to my thinking, which was I knew it was going to be one of those two. Oh, so, so you, you think you were half correct? I think I should get a half point no. for my thought process. No. Annabelle? You are on one. Annabelle? A quarter, a quarter, a quarter. Annabelle. A quarter, no. Annabelle. I no. think it's too much of a, it would just make you the winner, you know, because you're one all exactly. otherwise. Yeah, so okay. I think we keep it one all. All right, all right. Thanks, everyone. For <laughs> we will be back in your ears next week. If you want to support the show, support the show. Follow support us. the show. Wherever you're listening to your podcast. And you know what? Send this episode to a friend and say, I had a good time listening to this. Yeah. And say, Zara is my favourite tribe life. Yeah, I am a Chadler. <laughs> I will be a wife soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. I will be back next week, and so will these guys. See you then. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through it is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.